0: Welcome to the Ardent Archives, a ministry of North Clay Baptist Church. Here we explore the writings of church history in order to edify and equip the saints in their ongoing discipleship. In this series, we are reading and discussing Augustine and the Pelagian Controversy by B.B. Warfield. Written in the late 1800s, Warfield's informative work explores the relevance of Augustine's opposition to the Pelagian heresy. The primary issue for Augustine And the controversy that ensued at the beginning of the fifth century was the nature of man's will and the necessity of God's grace. So sit back and prepare to have your heart and mind engaged as we dive into Augustine and the Pelagian Controversy by B.B. Warfield. again and welcome back to the ardent archives we are discussing augustine and the pelagian controversy by bb warfield my name is pastor drew i'm one of your hosts and i'm here with my co-host pastor josh mcdaniel josh i thought in this discussion we could spend some time uh talking about the the ongoing pelagian controversy yeah um and you know we we kind of uh hit a little bit talking about uh the plagian controversy proper sort of what yeah, happened yeah, yeah. uh in this historical controversy but warfield does a very good job kind of uh expounding on sort of the finer details uh, of the controversy yeah um but uh, but the truth is is that we see pelagianism in in various forms alive and well today and so i thought that you know I, I, what are some of the ways that we see it um obviously uh, the Pelagian controversy took place during the fifth century, but we see other controversies that are significantly related yeah. to the Pelagian heresy, uh, most notably in the Protestant Reformation yeah. um, and the sort of controversy between uh, Rome and the Protestants. And then beyond that, between uh, even within the Protestant world, between Armenians and and Calvinists. And Calvary, yeah. And so uh, talk to us about that. What, how have we seen sort of, um, the weed of Pelagianism kind of grow in its various forms throughout yeah, and, church history.
1: And the crazy thing is is that Augustine started to see it like he, he, Pelagianism was kind of stamped out. it was done. But then at the end of Pelagian uh, excuse me, at the end of Augustine's life, he started to see this this weed start to still grow out of it. But before he could address it, before he could he could really start working at it substantially he did pass away um, and so the uh, kind of the, the leading champion of it was not able to take voice against it in large fashion so we have um and it's, it's what we call now it is semi-Pelagianism. Right, right.
0: And Warfield kind of hits at this in the last chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he says that it was not long afterwards, about 427, when Augustine was called upon to attempt to reclaim a Carthaginian brother, Vitalis by name, who had been brought to trial on the charge of teaching that the beginning of faith was not the gift of God, but the act of man's own yeah. free will. This was essentially the semi Pelagian position, which subsequently uh, was to make so large a figure in history. And Augustine treats it now as necessarily implying the basal idea of Pelagianism. And so even within his own life,
1: he was starting to see some of these, some of the offspring of Pelagius's heresy. Yeah. Um, And so essentially, and here's the big distinction. So Pelagius argued that there was no original sin, that God's grace was granted to every person to freely, in their own natural power, choose good or choose evil. And that you could, you could, if you follow Christ's example, and by the way, that's all Christ did. Christ only provided an example. You could follow Christ's example, and on your own free will and in your own natural power, you could be righteous on your own without the aid of God. Now, that was condemned as heresy, and no real big group actually believes that today. Although, simply put, I did actually, when I was in Bible college, there was a a, a guy who was in the college with me, and he believed that we could attain righteousness on our own, which I immediately, you know, said... You know that was squashed a long time ago, right, buddy? Yeah. Uh, but in any case, there there's not any big group of, of of people who claim to be Christians who would who would fall in line with that. But we do have semi Pelagianism now. Now, semi Pelagianists don't say that we can have righteousness and perfection of our own free will. They understand, hey, yeah, sin is actually a condition that has has uh, impacted the entire world through Adam. If sin came they they recognize that. But what they do say and, and this is where this is where the 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 straying from scripture lies. They say that even though our own free will cannot give us righteousness and perfection, our free will can attain salvation because we can choose God right right And so if we can choose God, then God gives us grace right and then we can be saved and then but the 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 caveat there is that we can still do it we can in our own effort in our own free will in our own natural power choose god yeah, it's different from right. choosing good is that we can choose god
0: right and then from there god gives us the tools yeah, 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 yeah.
1: and the means necessary to actually do good yeah but that we we can unlock god's grace by choosing right, god right right and so therein lies the heresy. And I, I do think that is a heresy. I think it's 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 and and whew, that's a big topic. That that right, you know, right. that's a big topic because there are a lot of people who I think are are wrapped up and, and stuck in that today. And even people Absolutely. I love, yeah. even people I love and 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 uh have loved all my life are stuck in it today. But you see that present today and it's odd that by the time that you we get to maybe about the eleventh, the twelfth century, that is essentially exactly what the Roman Catholic Church taught. Right. They right. taught that you could choose God through the church. That you could go, you could essentially, you could make your choice for God, and that the church could get you to do that. Now that was that's a little bit you know it's it, it is that the church really helps you do that and 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 this is why I say that that maybe Augustine's arguing for hey we baptize infants and that is a proof they took that and cranked it to eleven in the Roman Catholic Church and they almost said and said well you know in the in the church we've always done this we've always done that that is a proof that you can have salvation through. The church, the church. Yeah, uh, so they perversed it even, even to a even to a further degree. But it started off with that nugget of hey, 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 you can choose God, and yeah. you can unlock the grace of God in your own free will, in your own natural power.
0: Right, and some of um, Rome's sort of. Um, you know, adopting of those positions came from other of Augustine's work, Mm -hmm. which again, we admit that Augustine was a mixed bag, but there were two big controversies in Augustine's life that really defined his theology. One of them was the Pelagian controversy, which we've looked at in this book, but the other was what's known as the Donatist controversy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And really it was in the Donatist controversy that Augustine's sort of ecclesiology, his theology of the church was, was, you know, kind of formulated. Mm -hmm. And, um, and Warfield actually uh, uh, said in one of his other books, uh, kind of reflecting on the Protestant Reformation, he said that the Reformation, inwardly considered, was uh, just the ultimate triumph of Augustine's doctrines of, of grace over Augustine's doctrine of the church. Yeah, And so even within Augustine, we see this sort of conflict between his understanding, his theology of the church. And his understanding and his theology of of grace. And we really don't see that um, that sort of battle sort of had un, uh, until mm. the Protestant Reformation. Right. That's when we really see, okay, the conflict, the the sort of inconsistencies between Augustine's two theologies are really uh, being demonstrated, uh, it, it, you know, kind of in a dramatic form in the Protestant Reformation. Yes. And what yes. we see in the Protestant Reformation is actually the victory of, of Augustine's theology of grace over his theology of
1: right. the church, right? And so, you know, in the Protestant Reformation, by the time you get to Luther, and it's so well documented, you know, it's so well known. But by the time you get to to Luther, uh, you've got the Roman Catholic Church is a champion for God's grace can be unlocked through your free will and through the church. Right. You know, and, and of course, Luther looks at it and says, I mean, Luther struggled with that even before he was a Christian, you know, that Oh yeah. how how can I unlock anything when all I can see is my sin? You know, he, he, he wrestled with that in any case, he recognized that the wrath of God was to pour out against sinners and he was one, you know, and, and that there was, and he, Got the sense that there's nothing I can do about it, and he tried, man. He tried, and he made the statement in some of his writings: if anyone could have gained their salvation through their striving, it would have been him. You know, through being a monk, through being you know a you know a a preacher, it would have been him.
0: Well, that sounds kind of familiar to what Paul said, Mm -hmm. right? If anyone has reason to boast in the flesh, I do. Yes, but I count it
1: all as as nothing. That's right. And so Luther recognized. If we are going to be saved, it is not through my works or my actions. It is through the grace of God alone. Right, and he championed that battle cry uh, at that time. Whereas Augustine championed it back way on back in 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 uh, three eighty three ninety, you know, all the way up through. He championed yeah. it well, and Luther before, was an
0: Augustinian monk. He correct, was an right? right, yeah, yeah. and yes. he was. He, I mean as, as a monk in the 16th century, he was a student of Augustine's work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so he was like, he was seeing this, like he was seeing this conflict even in his own, even in his own studies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And man, he championed the cause. The church hated it, of course, because the church, man, they could make, they could make bank through the idea that if, if you, if you, if you come to the church right and if you come through the, the ways that we say you can unlock the grace of God right. and you can have favor in his eyes if you come man, they can you, you as
0: an individual that. can can like you said, can unlock God's grace and the way you do that is through the means of the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, and yeah. so by doing what we tell you to, you're actually allowing us to dispense God's grace to you. You're taking yeah. hold of God's grace yeah. that we dispense to you yeah. by engaging in you know, purchasing indulgences, yeah, or you know,
1: like. or going and praying before a relic, you know, yeah, or yeah. Uh, if you were a, a monk, you know, if you were taking vows of silence, you know, just those, you know, any kind of thing like that, um, that they would, that they would add to your salvation. You know, you yeah. can have the grace of God if, and you, you know, fill in the blank, and so, Lutheran, and again, like we yeah. would
0: not uh, w- want to discount the the importance of. The church, the role of the church in the life of an individual, oh, in absolutely. the life of a believer, yeah, right. but again, it's not until you sort of head in a particular direction and you start to see these sort of uh, her- heretical ideas start popping in their heads that you go, okay, wait a second. Yes, the church is significant. Yes, the-, the church is important. Yes, the church is vital, but not in the way that Rome is saying. Mm-hmm, and right. and so we've got we've got to clarify. Some things about our understanding of of what the the church actually does. Yeah, you know,
1: yeah. Luther fought against it. At uh, of course, at the end, of it, we've got Protestantism that comes out of that fight. We have um, a recognition, you know, that that no, it is it is by grace and grace alone that we are saved, and and the Roman Catholic church never really backed down from it. No, they still teach it to this day, but, but it is. interesting, well, and, and, and it's interesting because they really codified this in, yes, in the council. Of yes. Trent. It, it, they doubled down on it, man. Right, I mean, they right. came up there and they said, Hey, not and only now, do we disagree, we're staying by it. We're going to have a council. Right. About it. Well, and not only
0: is this our official position, but we're anathematizing anybody who says otherwise.
1: Yeah, if you say otherwise, if you say it's the grace of God and God alone, then guess what? You're, Cut off, anathematized. You're done. You're damned. You have no place in our church. Um, Interestingly enough, though, we still see it in Protestantism even today. Right. It's almost like we forgot what we were protesting. You know that we that we forgot what we were going against. You still see semi-Pelagianism today, and I would argue that every Arminian in some way, shape, form, or fashion, you have to you have to boil it down to at the end of the day they still are semi Pelagian because they do believe. Right. Now they do not go so far as the Roman Catholic Church. Certainly not as far as Pelagius. No, certainly not as far as Pelagius. And so in that you have to you have to there's nuances to it. But there is still a system of thought today that, hey, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking, and I have to open the door to let him in. Right. And it's, it's an abuse of, of, of certain parts of Scripture like that, you know, that says, well, Jesus is just wanting me just to open the door so that he can give me his grace. Right, There is still that mindset today, and I would argue against it with the same zeal and the same passion that Augustine did when he argued against it with Pelagius, right. that Luther did when he argued against it with the Catholic Church, that no, it is by God's grace and grace alone that we are saved, and it is not our own doing Right, it, it is the is, gift of God. It's the gift of God.
0: Yeah, and we certainly wouldn't want to say that uh, you know synergists as opposed to monergists or Arminians. You know, most people wouldn't even classify themselves as Arminians right. because they don't understand what Arminius taught. Right, right, right. Um, but we certainly wouldn't want to cast those people out of the church or out of no, the no, faith, no, no. or no, no. or tell tell them they're they're outside of orthodoxy. Call them heretics. But I, I would want to say that you are playing with heretical fire, you're playing and, with fire. and it's dangerous because if you continue, if you continue to the logical sort of progression through the logical progression to its final conclusion of what you're saying, you are going to end up in a place that is
1: potentially heretical. Yeah. And that's that's the same place coming back full circle that we saw Augustine in. Right. We recognize that he was a bit of a mixed bag, and we do not agree with everything he says, and neither did Warfield. We don't stand on the same ground with every single you know uh, uh, argument he made for right. infants and baptism. We don't what baptism is, but we would not look at him and say heretic, even though he flirted with it in that yeah. doctrine he flirted oh, for with sure. it. and we see that now thanks to thanks to you know uh, a lot of work that other church leaders did throughout the years we see yeah. that now And we say he was flirting with heretical fire i would say the same thing about those who are wrapped up in this idea today yeah you're flirting with heretical fire you might not be a full-blown pelagianist or even a full-blown semi-pelagianist but you are flirting with it. Yeah. And James
0: White several times has talked about the dividing line, especially between Rome and between the Protestant church. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he constantly points out is that people who advocate for synergism, right? Mm-hmm. Synergism as, uh, you know, uh, kind of describing salvation, that it's a synergetic work. It's one that God it's, does and that we participate in. It's as God well. and me. Yeah as, it's, yeah, as opposed to monergism saying, no, no, salvation is completely of God. It like synergists don't recognize that they are standing on the side of Rome. Mm -hmm. That if, if, if the reformation were taking place today, their theology of salvation would place them Mm -hmm. on Rome's side. Mm -hmm. And again, like people want to argue and be like, well, you know, uh, well, Roman Catholics are Trinitarian, so you stand on the side with Rome. But that's that's not what the Reformation was right, right, right. was, that was, was, fought, was over. fought over. Yeah, it was fought over specifically this understanding of is salvation by grace alone, or do we participate in the process? Mm-hmm. And we would certainly, you know, obviously, uh, we would say that every man needs to repent of his sin mm-hmm. and turn to Christ. Yes, but again, going back to Jesus' own words in John six, he says that all that the Father gives to me will come to me. So man needs to come, but there's a logical progression. Yes. The coming is preceded by the giving of the Father. That's right. And we recognize that the only ones who come are the ones who have been given by the Father. The only ones who, you know, if we want to put it this way, make a choice to follow Jesus are those who have had their hearts of stone removed and replaced with hearts of flesh and have been caused to walk according to his statutes and been careful to obey right. his rules. It's only because of God's work That man now has the ability to do the right thing.
1: That's right, and we have to stand again, just like Augustine, who stood on—and we'll say he stood on the doctrines of grace—and it's—it's he stood on the doctrines of grace as if it were the road, the path that he stood on, and he could not be moved from. Right. When the reformers got to it, it it's almost like they paved that road and they made it kind of okay. Now we see the the nuances, we see all of it that it is, and it's it's so. The reformers still in that. We need to stand on that same right. road of grace and say, "Here we will not be moved. We will not be taken off of and,
0: that." And 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 ultimately, it's not because well, we're 1689 Baptists, and so whatever they said is good <laughs> for us. It's not because well, we're Reformed, and so whatever the reformers taught is good for us. Or because you know we're Augustinian, so whatever Augustine taught is good for us. No, no, it's because we want to stand on the foundation of the scriptures that's right and so right. W- we don't believe these things because augustine was a great guy because the reformers were great guys because warfield was a great guy no we stand on these things because we have we have come face to face with what is taught in the scriptures and we have said this is what's taught and we have no choice but to submit to what it teaches
1: almost like saying here i stand i can do no other god help me absolutely Amen.
0: And so we're going to go ahead and and end our discussion here. Obviously, there's a whole lot more that could be said, you know, about this book in particular. Like we said, it's a pretty it's a pretty dense textbook, really. Um, But Warfield does a very good job, I think, sort of explaining the history, um, sort of documenting, um, you know, his conclusions and different things like that. And so this may be one that you that you listen through and you go, you know what, I need. maybe I need to revisit it. And you listen to it again and, and hopefully it's able to, to bring something new. But we're going to end our discussion there. Um, we are going to be taking, well, not so much a break, but we're going to be sort of changing our timeline for our releasing. Pacing, yeah. Our pace, yes, for, for releasing books. Up until this point, we have released books once a quarter with a break in the summer. Um, and that has, that has been a pretty decent pace up until this point. But with... Our own schedules, with uh, you know things going on in our families, things going on here at the church. Um, that's just not something that we can sustain long term. Right. And so, rather than releasing a book once a quarter, once every every three months, we're going to we're going to sort of scale that back and look at releasing one every six months. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely uh, to give us a little bit more time uh, because we want to do this well. We don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, be rushing these things. And if I'm being honest, the last two books have been a little, a, l- a little rushed simply because of a lot of different, mm-hmm. you know, moving parts and a lot of different things going on. And so we wanted to make sure that we give ourselves enough time to do this, uh, to do it well. Um, and, and also that we're not, you um, you know, taking on too much and end up getting burnt out, you know, either in, you know, here or, you know, in other areas of our lives or or other areas of the church.
1: And we've also got a doozy of a book coming up.
0: We do. And so with that, we have decided um, to take on a very uh,
1: ambitious next book. Josh, do you want to tell us what that is? I don't know. I'm getting nervous. It's one by John Calvin. In fact, it might be the, the one won by John Calvin. It is the Institutes so of John Calvin is what we're going to be going through, and uh, he breaks it up into four different books. So we'll take a book at a time, <laughs>
0: right? So we'll kind of break that into four, you know, four books, and we'll we'll do the readings and the discussions for each book at a time. And I'm I'm very excited about this because um, I would. I would classify myself as a Calvinist. I believe that Calvin rightly taught concerning uh, you know, the doctrines of grace, mm-hmm. what scriptures teach concerning salvation and different things like that. Um, but if I'm being honest, I've never actually read all the way through Calvin's Institutes. Yeah. Um, and, and they were it read like that. I, I, I've used it as a reference. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've used it, you know, if I have, que- I, it's kind of my go-to systematic in a way. If I have a question mm-hmm. about a particular doctrine, you know, I might, I, I will consult the institutes, but I've never spent the time to sit down and read it yeah. all the way through. And again, not to be projecting, but I don't think it's too far off. If that's the boat I'm in, I can't imagine, you know, or, or I, don't, I don't think it's too far off to imagine that other people are in the same boat. Absolutely. And so I am super excited to go through this book for myself, but then also to provide sort of a a, a very accessible way to engage with with Calvin's Institutes. And so we are planning to release the first book of Calvin's Institutes in the fall of twenty twenty-two. We'll uh kind of update the specific date as we get closer to Mm -hmm. that time. But we're looking at fall of twenty twenty-two. In the meantime, please check out the other books that we've covered here. Uh, On the podcast, we've covered uh, On the Incarnation by Athanasius of Alexandria, The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, Assurance by Charles Spurgeon, and Christianity and Liberalism by J. Gresham Machen. And so until next time, we will look forward to learning with you again soon here on the Ardent Archives. We hope that you enjoyed this discussion of Augustine and the Pelagian Controversy. And we hope that it has been edifying to you and your walk with Christ. Now, this conversation is by no means exhaustive. So we pray that our discussion leads to meaningful conversations with friends and family as you contemplate the infinite magnitude of God's saving grace. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact us at podcasts at Northclay.org. For more information from Northclay Baptist Church or from the Ardent Archives, visit our website at www.northclay.org. We look forward to learning with you again soon here on the Ardent Archives. Archives, the ministry of North Clay Baptist Church. Here we explore the writings of church history in order to edify and equip the saints in their ongoing discipleship. In this series, we are reading and discussing Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin. First published in 1536, Calvin's masterpiece is arguably the most influential theological work in Western history, as well as one of the most important works in the history of the Christian Church. Calvin wrote the Institutes as an introduction to the Protestant faith, inviting his readers to learn and grow in the knowledge of God as revealed in His Word. So sit back and prepare to have your heart and mind engaged as we dive into Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin.